I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up Show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. My guest today is the physiotherapist and the director at Wild Physio Fitness, where he focuses on working with people with young onset Parkinson's disease. So to chat about treatment strategies, NDIS physiotherapy, and exercise for people with young onset Parkinson's disease, please welcome to the podcast, Andrew Wild. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. How are you going? I'm doing well. Very glad to have you here and chat all about this. So let's take a little step back first and just get an idea of what got you interested in physiotherapy in general back in the day. So when I was an adolescent, I was injured a lot. So I was constantly at the physio. So I played a lot of different sports growing up, AFL cricket, tennis, water polo, golf, you name it. I played it growing up in a small country town like Wagga and eventually came up to Sydney for boarding school. And through those sort of 16, 17, 18 years, I was constantly injured. So being exposed to physio at a young age, I thought that that's a cool profession. Maybe I wanted to do that because I really love sport. I also loved science and I thought I wanted to help people as well. So I considered physio, medicine, my father's a dentist, sort of considered that (laughs) and then eventually went down the path of doing physiotherapy at university and I loved it and now I've been in practice 12 years since I graduated and still going strong. Sounds like you found the perfect like Venn diagram overlap of sport and science there. Definitely yeah a lot of my friends say that in terms of their friends I'm the friend that probably did the right did the right degree and I'm working in the right profession based off things that I love and also just the type of personality that I am. So yeah, each day I go to work and I enjoy it. I love a lot of what I do. There's always going to be parts of your job that you don't love, but I'm very lucky that I love most of my job. Which after 12 years is pretty amazing, especially these days, people are chopping and changing careers uh, pretty regularly. So to be staying in at 12 years, it must be pretty special. Definitely. Very, Quick question, what was it like playing water polo? You listed a lot of sports and uh, some of them more recognisable and mainstream, but water polo is a wild one. What do you remember from your time in the pool? It's a lot more physical than people think. If you ever watch it at the Olympic level, they'll often have a camera underneath the water and the pulling, the scratching, they try and you often wear two pairs of Speedos. Male and females do that. They wear two pairs of Speedos because you're often get them pulled and tugged because they're trying to grab onto something to pull you under. So it's it's a very physical game. I'd say it's probably up there with one of the toughest games I've played. So it definitely wasn't my number one sport in summer, cricket was, but I still loved it. Anything with a ball, I was a massive fan of. Um, so I'm still playing a lot of sport these days, playing mostly tennis and golf, but 
I still work with football, AFL. So I'm still involved with sport a fair bit during my week. Still very much immersed in that community, which leads me to my next question then from this very sport orientated lifestyle and I guess interest, how did you find yourself coming to treat people with young onset Parkinson's disease? I was exposed to young onset Parkinson's disease from a young age because a family member was diagnosed around the age of 30. So they've been living with it for 30 years. So I was exposed to it at a young age. Obviously, at a young age, you don't kind of understand these things. But as you grow older, you start to understand them. And when I came up to boarding school here, I spent a lot more time with this family member. And I just noticed the effects that it did have not only on his life, but his family, their life. It was it was a bit eye-opening. So in time, in terms of my journey as a physio, starting to work with more people with Parkinson's has effectively become more of a passion project in a way because of that past experience and seeing um, my family member go through that. So through that, what are some of the, um, I guess, treatments and strategies that your clients and this family member um, have found beneficial? Yeah, so I think I'm very evidence-based when it comes to treatment and any physiotherapist should be. So according to a recent um, systematic review that we we had last year over in the States, Osborne et al. 2022 was was the paper. So it's based off systematic reviews where they gather all of the information that they've got out there in the research field to guide best practice. And the big ones, the big nuts and bolts things that people should be doing is aerobic exercise and resistance training. So resistance training being lifting weights, doing anything against resistance, Pilates, weights, these type of things. So they're the two big pillars. And there's other things as well that people with Parkinson's, whether it be young onset or Parkinson's sort of over the age of 60, because that's typically when people are diagnosed. Balance training, external cueing, community-based exercises, these these type of things. But the main pillars of the treatment should be the aerobic exercise, which is your cardiovascular fitness and the resistance training. So they're the big pillars. I think as well with the young onset Parkinson's, it's a tricky beast because they're often going through stages in their life where they're they're younger, obviously. So they're still working. They may or may not have played sport and done other exercise prior to getting the diagnosis. So I try and push these um, patients to continue them as long as possible, whether it be tennis or golf or table tennis or whatever it is that they like doing, swimming try and continue it for as long as possible. Um, They often have a lot of friends that do similar things to them as well. So making sure they're maintaining their social circles as well through sport and exercise is really important. So they're the big pillars, the exercise that's aerobic and the resistance training. Plus, I think if they've been exposed to sport and other exercise in in the past, more at the community level, even at the community level, I would make sure that they continue that. That's such a good point that you brought up too, that obviously the, um, I guess, physical benefits of being active or playing sport, but it's so much more than that. It is a common way for people to get that community engagement, to get social interaction, to feel like they're contributing and purpose, which are all such important factors in feeling that like holistic wellness. Definitely. And when a client starts with me, I think the big question I would ask them when it comes to the exercise and the aerobic and the resistance training is 
how many sessions a week do you want to do? And finding that sweet spot of enough, but not too much that they think they're overdoing it is important. So having a more sustainable outlook on their exercise going forward is really important. And sustainability and consistency would arguably be the most important thing when it comes to any exercise plan going forward. Because if you say to them, you know, we need to do six sessions a week and it's just unrealistic and they hate it, well, they're less likely to stick with it. So in an ideal world, they'd be doing two resistance training sessions per week. And then if they wanted to do more, they could start to do more, but at least start there. And then from an aerobic standpoint, we're looking at about 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week is ideal or 75 to 150 minutes of more vigorous intensity exercise per week, plus the two strength sessions. So they're the guidelines from the World Health Organization that we work off. Um, A good example of what that would look like, the more vigorous exercise is getting your heart rate quite high, struggling to talk while you do that exercise. So say being on a bike or something like that and struggling to have a conversation, the more moderate intensity exercise, a good way I often frame it with people, especially people with young young onset Parkinson's is if they go for a walk, they'd be walking at about five kilometers an hour. That's actually termed at moderate intensity exercise by the World Health Organization. So if most people go out there and walk at a decent clip, they're probably at about that five kilometers an hour. So if you did 150 to 300 minutes of that per week, technically you're ticking off the World Health Organization's guidelines combined with the strength sessions. So the um, aerobic side of things feels like it's it can be accessible uh, without having to necessarily be like a member at a certain place or um, have that equipment. With the resistance side of things, how does that go Obviously, the biggest recommendation would be to do it with someone that's watching your technique and stuff like that. But are there ways people can incorporate resistance-based training if they are trying to just do it from home themselves? It's a great question. And I had this question a lot through COVID, obviously, because people (laughs) couldn't go to the gym. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. There's so many things you can use at home to effectively just provide resistance because that's all you're doing. It doesn't matter whether you use dumbbells, barbells, cables, whatever it is, you're just applying resistance just to make the movement a little bit harder. So people could use dumbbells. Adjustable dumbbells have been a great invention. So you can get adjustable dumbbells that don't take up as much space. And you can, I've got some that are say 24 down to two and a half kilos, and you can just change them with a dial. And they're about as big as say, they're about as big as a computer, like a laptop in terms of the the floor size. And then you could get a couple of those and be pretty set. Um, you could potentially get a bench for home. Or the other thing that I often get people to use is a backpack. So you could do squats or do split squats or something like that with a backpack. But some basic dumbbells and some basic equipment at home and even some bands and that sort of, that sort of thing can often... That's all all you'll need. And you can obviously use body weight with things like push-ups and just even body weight squats to start with and then progress from there. So there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but at the end of the day, uh, you need to be doing something where you're applying some resistance to the muscle tissue and also the bone going forward. I didn't know that there was adjustable dumbbells like that. That sounds incredible because you can basically kind of cover all your bases with just one physical set of them rather than, you know, having to have so much storage space for a bunch of different weights. They sound like a really good investment. 
Oh, they're a massive space saver and they've been brilliant for physio clinics because then you don't need a massive dumbbell rack in your clinic so I can save space. So I've got so many pairs of adjustable dumbbells. I've got some at home. I've got some at the clinic. They're they're brilliant. They're such a good investment. And you can get two 24-kilo dumbbells for about $250 and you've effectively got your own kind of mini gym at home already with those. So they're a great investment. And I've got a pair here that are about six years old and I haven't broken yet. So um we're going yeah they're, they're a great investment well here's hoping there's another six years ahead for those uh dumbbells that you've got so talk to exactly. me about how the um ndis links into all of this as well because um i've got a little bio on you and it says you do physiotherapy with the ndis yeah so people can be covered by the ndis when it comes to parkinson's and they can be covered with the ndis with other disabilities obviously and they can be self-managed or plan-managed. So when it comes to the NDIS, we're often recommended as a provider for people with Parkinson's, whether that be young onset or Parkinson's after the age of 60, and they would come in and NDIS would cover that session with us, depending on whether plan-managed or self-managed, how that works going forwards the good thing about the ndis often people can then afford to see us more regularly because the ndis are covering it because it can be a bit of a challenge to see a physio regularly if you don't have those funds so you do often see the ndis clients sort of once a week maybe twice a week with some of them maybe once a month here and there so it just depends on how much how much time they want to spend with us and how much guidance they want and often it's something where they start with us for at the start of their session or the start of their journey with us, they may do two or three sessions a week and then we kind of wean them back to doing some work at home and then once a week with us or something like that. Yeah, it is a brilliant program. If um, you can sort of navigate, it can be tough to navigate and really tough to get on. But if people are NDIS participants, I know personally my my dad has Parkinson's. He is not on the NDIS. My mum has MS and she is on the NDIS. And I guess to see the different level of accessibility to allied health services and stuff that my mom is able to get that dad doesn't, you know, it really is a game changer in terms of being able to take care of your health. Oh, definitely. The accessibility to services like ours, it helps. It hundred percent helps them. And often I feel like when they do get that diagnosis, the people with young onset Parkinson's, they don't know where to go in a way. They're a bit confused whether they need to see us or do they go to an exercise physiologist or do they not go and see anyone and they just continue to do the exercise that they're currently doing? So I think coming to an exercise professional like us, we can sort of point them in the right direction of what they should do because sometimes it's a bit of a gray area. And I think that the big thing with anyone going forward, once we hit the age of 40, we start to lose muscle mass, strength, and power as we age. And it's de- it's a depressing fact, but it's the reality of it. And this is the thing with anyone, whether you have young onset Parkinson's, Parkinson's over the age of 60, or you're just a general population person that doesn't have any health concerns. So the statistics on this are pretty grim. So after the age of 40, you lose about 1% of muscle per year. Strength is about 2 to 4% per year and power is 8 to 10%. So some of the research says 0.5% per year after the age of 40, you lose muscle mass. And 1, 1 to 2% after the age of 50 and then 3% per year after the age of 60. So 
the big thing that we're trying to do with anyone as they age is trying to maintain muscle mass, maintain bone mineral density, maintain their strength and their power. And how do we do that? We do that with resistance training. The other thing that we do with most people, even if they have Parkinson's, especially early onset, is make sure that they're doing some form of jumping for their bone mineral density. The reasoning why is because walking and even running and bike, we don't see enough stimulus through the actual bone to see bone mineral density changes to reduce the risk of osteoporosis and osteopenia going forwards. So bone health is really important. And the muscle mass side of things, walking and biking and these type of things, again, isn't enough stimulus going forwards to maintain muscle mass, especially in the upper body. Obviously, biking is just lower body effectively. So we need to lift weights to try and maintain that. And I like to refer to it as like the elixir of youth. Maintaining your muscle mass as we age is so important and so is bone mineral density. And they're two great reasons to exercise as we age rather than just focusing on aesthetics. Slight um, personal question. For those of us who perhaps have nine years left until they reach that 40 uh, years old and where things start to um, perhaps degenerate, Is there anything you can do to be maximizing your capacity now so that then I guess you have a higher bar to then degenerate from or you're set in the way that your genetics are made up? It's a really good question. So even at your age, you can start to put muscle on by lifting weights. So it depends how much muscle you want to put on. If you want to put on more muscle, technically you need to be in a calorie surplus, which is consuming more calories than you're burning and then lift weights with adequate intensity to see the muscle change. So yes, you can increase your ceiling. Now, you losing muscle after the age of 40, you can try and stop that by lifting weights, making sure you're having a a high-protein diet with enough calories as well to try and mitigate that loss. So I know it sounds like grim reading, but at the same time, you can mitigate this if you do the right things within your lifestyle. And this is really relevant to young onset Parkinson's patients because they that's the the big goal is to try and hold on to this. And just because they have young onset Parkinson's, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't still have these goals of trying to maintain muscle mass and maintain bone mineral density. And these things are often going to make them feel better, stronger. They're going to be able to achieve their functional tasks each day. So trying to get them into a routine to continue to do this exercise-based therapy is so important. That's brilliant advice. Before I let you go, tell us about Wild Physio Fitness. So we're a small business based in Neutral Bay in Sydney and we're physiotherapists and strength and conditioning coaches. So we see people of all walks of life from any age, from the age of, say, a paediatric age all the way up to the elderly age. So we see musculoskeletal injuries, sports injuries. We see people with Parkinson's, other neurological conditions, young onset Parkinson's, obviously. We also have one-on-one personal training services, and we also have group classes. And the group class we're running at the moment is a women's only strength class for four people and under. So we also have the NDIS side of things, Medicare, chronic disease management plans, that sort of thing as well. So we're effectively like a one-stop shop when it comes to physiotherapy and personal training services. And for those of us that aren't lucky to are lucky enough to be in the gorgeous Neutral Bay area, a little birdie did tell me that you also have a podcast. So for the wider audience, tell us about that. Yes. So I've got a podcast called the Wild Physio Podcast and it's been running. I started it 
at the beginning of COVID, actually. Prior to that, I had another podcast called The Hybrid Therapist Podcast with a co-host, and now The Wild Physio Podcast is my own. So I've been going for three and a half years now, and I have guests and topics range from musculoskeletal sports injury-based topics to strength and conditioning topics. I actually haven't done a Parkinson's specific podcast yet, and I probably should. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's going well. Well, it sounds like it's the crossover of the century that's due, a Parkinson's and um, Wild Fitness dual episode. So we will have to try and get that on the calendar. But until then, thank you so much for being with us today, Andrew. It's been so insightful. I think there's a lot of really good advice for our listeners there about little lifestyle changes they can make to really maximize capacity. So we appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on and look forward to potentially doing it soon. Maybe we need to reverse this and I'll have some guests from the Shake It Up show on my podcast. Sounds like a plan. We will get to it. Thanks, Andrew. No worries. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking Australian research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. To support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast. Together, we can find a cure.